Questions to the Prime Minister, Dr. Vincent Cable. Mr. Speaker, sir, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I will have further such meetings later today. Will the Prime Minister add to his engagements a prison visit um, in order to respond to the criticism of Lord Ramsbottom, the former Chief Inspector of Prisons, who said that for the Prime Minister to demand more and longer custodial sentences is incoherent when prisons are chronically overcrowded and prisoners have been released prematurely, and to heed Lord Ramsbottom's advice that the best contribution the Prime Minister can make to the sentencing process is, in his words, to shut up. Um, well, I thank him for his kind invitation, but it won't surprise the Honourable Gentleman to say that I don't agree with that. Um, it is worth, however, pointing out that there are more people in prison, there are more prison places, the amount of time people are spending in prison is longer. But where I think there is justifiable concern about sentencing, it would be very odd if we as politicians did not raise it. Dan Norris. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Most people feel that um, fathers need to play a greater role in bringing up their children. What is the government doing to support that? Well, actually, we are we're doing a number of things. First of all, obviously, we have introduced family-friendly policy that has allowed for the first time paternity leave, that has expanded maternity pay, that has given us expanded maternity leave. There is, of course, the extra places in nursery provision, in childcare, and, of course, there are the Sure Start places. And I want to make it clear that this side of the House is fully in favour of Sure Start. We believe it does an excellent job. And I hope very much the right on gentleman will withdraw the criticism you made of the Withenshaw Sure Start, which I believe also is doing a superb job for its local community. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Two weeks ago, I asked the Prime Minister if he would back Conservative proposals for tougher sentences for knife crime. He said that there were difficult issues. This week, the Home Secretary announced that he would work with us to strengthen the law. Will the Prime Minister confirm that this will be done before the Violent Crime Reduction Bill completes its passage through Parliament? I, I think what I said, in fairness, was that I would consider that, that there were difficulties with it. Um, these difficulties, we believe, can be overcome. And we're perfectly happy to work with the right on gender, with other honourable members in the House, to get the legislation through as quickly as possible. I'm delighted we're going to work together on knife crime. In January, I asked the Prime Minister to think again. This is another area where perhaps we can work together. I asked the Prime Minister to think again on government proposals to force uh, police forces to merge. This huge distraction has already wasted police time and also taxpayers' money. On Monday, the Home Secretary is now keeping up a running commentary, I'm pleased to see. On Monday, the Home Secretary accepted our arguments for a review. Will the Prime Minister confirm that, at the very least, no forced amalgamations will take place until after that review is complete? No, it is important, obviously, um, that we listen to the concerns that are expressed by people, and we said that we would, and I hope he's not got a complaint about that. But my understanding is that his shadow spokesman on law and order has said that we should not proceed with any such mergers at all. I don't agree with that. I think, as the Home Secretary says, we should take a greater time to consider the representations that we made to us. But for all the reasons that were given, not least by the Inspector of Constabulary, there is a good case for considering this, and that's why it would be wrong for us as a government to rule it out. And incidentally, whilst we are talking about how we can work together on law and order, I hope he will now withdraw what he said last week in the House, which is that the person in the Sweeney case would be released earlier as a result 
of the Criminal Justice Act of 2003. This is completely wrong. As a result of that act, he can be given an indeterminate sentence, which is why now he will not be automatically paroled. I think the Prime Minister can concentrate on his own ministers who have been given a completely conflicting course of events. Now, I'm glad the Prime Minister is being flexible about these things and being prepared to back down. We read today of a review of the entire Home Office. Will the Prime Minister make sure that this looks at long-term suggestions to improve our security, including our proposal for a single border police force? Unlike forced mergers that are opposed by police chiefs, this is now backed by the Met, it's backed by the former head of ACPO, and it's backed by the Labour-controlled Select Committee. Will the Prime Minister join this growing consensus? First of all, of course it's important that all the long-term issues of the Home Office are looked at very carefully. The reason why we have been against a single border agency force is very simple. It is because we have put in an immense amount of money and extra staff, but we believe that the best way of dealing with this is through the intelligence-led operations that have actually been extremely successful. Now, it is true that there is much more that we need to do. We are looking at that. But I do say to the uh, right honourable gentleman that if we want to protect our borders properly, then the electronic border system that we're introducing is important. Yes, and I do say, if we want to keep a track of people in this country, in the end, we are going to have to face up to the difficult decision of identity cards, and I think that if he is still against that, then he cannot be serious about making sure we know exactly who is and should be in our country. If he wants to know who's still here, he shouldn't have abolished embarkation controls. When the senior chief constable uh, uh, said policies uh, being uh, made up on the hoop. Uh, order. Let the leader of the opposition speak. Let him speak. Order. Uh, order. In a week, when a senior chief constable has uh, said policies uh, being made wrong doesn't deny you the right to speak in this house. <laughs> Can I assure you of that? Can I assure you that? I tell you this, there would be very few honourable members who would be able to speak. Leader of the opposition. so many former Home Secretaries shouting, it's quite difficult to keep track. In a week when a senior Chief Constable has said that policy is being made up on the hoof, real strategy has been abandoned and professionals are in despair, it's clear that real change is needed at the Home Office. The Prime Minister has had nine years and countless initiatives. Can he honestly blame people for coming to the conclusion that he's taken his eye off the ball, he's out of touch and he cannot be the right person to sort it out? First of all, when we're on the, the, the subject of former Home Secretaries, I think he should have understood, which is the reason I think my honourable friends were shouting at him, that the Home Secretary who began the release of embarkation controls was actually the right honourable gentleman who was his, uh, his predecessor as leader of the Conservative Party. So I don't, I don't think that is a very wise point to make. However, in relation to the Home Office... As a result of the changes that have been made, crime is down. There are record numbers of police. Asylum claims now get processed far quickly. Uh, we have reduced the number of asylum claims quite dramatically over the last few years. But I agree. It is important that we see whether we can go further or not. All I'm saying to the right honourable gentleman and his colleagues is this that when we bring forward these measures, I hope he won't do what he has done before, which is to attack us in public for not being tough, tough enough and then. Or even tough enough. <laughs> well, whether, whether tough or tough. 
The fact is, he and his colleagues have been out there. <laughs> I don't think we'll get into a competition on, on that. Whatever he says in public about our law and order policy, where he tries to suggest that we haven't been tough enough, what he actually does in this House, and in particular with his colleagues in the other place, is vote against each and every measure necessary. And incidentally, whilst we're on that point, something else he should correct from last week, he tried to suggest that the Sentencing Guidelines Council was the reason he voted against the 2003 Act. Actually, he was in favour of the Sentencing Guidelines Council. His spokesman at the time said that was admirable, and the reason they voted against the 2003 Act was because of the withdrawal of the right to trial by jury, which incidentally they're also wrong on, and therefore it was not because, it was not because the measures were too soft. It was because they were too tough. After nine years, three huge majorities and 54 pieces of criminal justice legislation, isn't it the case that the Prime Minister has no one to blame but himself? And it is as a result of these measures that we have crime down when it doubled under the Tories, that when he was cutting police numbers, we raised the police numbers. It's a result of the anti-social behaviour legislation. We got a chance of dealing with anti-social behaviour and he voted against it. And the next time we bring forward measures in this House, the test will be for him and his colleagues whether they're prepared to vote on the basis of what they say. And on the basis of his past record, they won't. If it's, if it's all going so well, why has his own Home Secretary said the department isn't fit for purpose and today he's trying to revamp the whole of his failing department? Of course, as the Home Secretary has rightly said, there are huge challenges of organised crime, of illegal immigration. But if we are to tackle these measures, then we need things like the Criminal Justice Act that toughened up the sentences for violent and sexual offences. But what did he do when that was before the House of Commons? He voted against it. So when we bring forward these new measures, he will be on test, his leadership will be on test, and so will his party. Did my friend welcome the introduction of environmental uh, performance certificates for domestic dwellings last week? which will, for the first time, give home buyers the same information that they have when they're buying a fridge about the environmental performance of their home. And does he regret the opposition to the introduction of home information packs, of which these will form a key part, because that both ignores the impact on the environment and because this is the most efficient way of getting EPCs in front of consumers. Of course, he's right in saying that this has been welcomed by the Consumers' Council. Um, for example, Denmark is one of the countries that's infused, introduced these home improvement packs, and they've been immensely successful there. Uh, we are giving those a, a, a dry run, as he knows, this year to be introduced fully next year. And he's absolutely right as well about the energy-saving requirements that will go into that. And that is information that we are introducing in this country some two years earlier than the European Directive stipulates. Sir Mingus Campbell. Yeah.
Can the Prime Minister recall a time when there was such acrimony as there is now between the Home Office on the one hand and the police and the judiciary on the other? How is this to be resolved? To be resolved, I hope, by meeting the genuine concerns of the public about the shortcomings of the criminal justice system. And I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, although he asked me a general question about the Home Office and the judges, if the public actually knew the voting record of the Liberal Democrats in this House on law and order policies, they wouldn't give him and his colleagues the time of day on the issue. Well, I say to the honourable gentleman, I'm happy to defend my voting record. He should defend his against what he said when he was in opposition. Now, as a result of the events of the last few weeks, isn't it clear that what is necessary is wholesale reform of the Home Office, including the creation of a separate Ministry of Justice? No, I don't agree with that at all. Look, the the Right Honourable Gentleman says he and his colleagues are proud of their voting record. Right. I would like to see the leaflets put around in the recent local elections by the Liberal Democrats saying how proud they are that they voted against the anti-social behaviour legislation. Let him show me the leaflets saying how they voted against the powers to close crack houses, voted against anti-social behaviour orders, voted against the drunken disorderly provisions. Show me the leaflet, show me the leaflet and then I'll pay some attention to what he says. A year ago, a year ago, my friend told us that a decision to replace Trident would have to be made in this Parliament. Wouldn't it be an absolute outrage if billions were squandered on a new generation of nuclear weapons without a vote in this House? As I think I said before, there should be the fullest possible debate on this issue. I'm sure there will be, and the decision, yes, will have to be taken in this Parliament. Swinson. Does the Prime Minister agree that whatever his government's views on nuclear power, it is the Scottish Executive who will decide whether to allow the building of new nuclear power stations in Scotland? Of course, as a result of of devolution, these decisions will be taken in accordance with the the legislation that outlines the respective powers of the Scottish Executive um, and um, the UK Parliament and the UK Executive. But I have to say to the Honourable Lady, that of course Scotland does have nuclear power stations now, and a large part of the electricity of the whole of the country actually depends on that. David Borrow. Mr. Speaker, can I ask my right honourable friend if he had the opportunity during the European Summit last week to meet members of the Dutch Christian Union Party who are against women being elected, or the Latvian for Freedom, for Fatherland and Freedom Party? that are against foreigners working in schools or indeed with the Polish Civic Platform Party that are seeking to reduce workers' rights and trade union rights. Um, actually, I didn't have the chance to, uh, <laughs> to meet them, but I think it's very unwise of honourable members opposite to shout and ball since these are their new partners in the European Union. Speaker, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you, you're as delighted as I am to find out that the government have appointed a livability minister. Perhaps the Prime Minister could tell me who that minister is and what is livability. 
livability is the ability of local communities to be free from crime and fear, and that is precisely why we introduce legislation. I'm not sure whether he and his colleagues actually voted against that one, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. What can my right honourable friend say to sufferers of mesothelioma and their families in my constituency and elsewhere in view of the devastating message that they have received from the Lords recently? I can say to uh, my honourable friend that we are well aware of the, the serious concern about this and as a result of it there will be an amendment to the compensation bill. Um, which will, in effect, reverse that ruling uh, in the recent case. I think that is extremely important because there are many thousands of people who otherwise would suffer quite unnecessarily. And I think along with what we did over many years for minors' compensation is an indication that we recognise there are people who work very hard in this country, who suffered grave and debilitating illnesses as a result, and it's right that we stand by them and protect them. Mr Speaker, the England team manager has not only announced the day he is going to retire, but who his successor will be. Has the Prime Minister anything to learn from this? No, I'm still trying to catch up with his wages. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is my right honourable friend aware that Liberal Tory controlled Luton Council are ending school uniform grants hitting the poorest families? Will he consider making school uniform grants compulsory? And does he not agree that this, while this government gets on with tackling child poverty, the opposition just poses? Well, I think it, it, it is important that we continue to support some of the poorest families. And, of course, as a result, for example, of the policies in relation to the child care tax credit, that there are hundreds of thousands of the poorest families that get that help and protection. And I hope very much that we continue um, to give support through that, through the children's tax credit, which means that I think I'm right in saying something like... Um, three million out of the seven million poorest families actually pay no income tax at all as a result of the help that we're giving them. And that is the right way, in our judgment, to help some of the poorest families cope with the difficulties they have. It doesn't surprise me at all in relation to what she says about the Conservative and Lib Dem controlled council. They do that in many other places. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister yet again tried to sound terribly tough uh, earlier, but let's look at his performance. Uh, recommendations made after the Dunblane shootings ten years ago have not yet been implemented. Recommendations made after Soham murders four years ago have not yet been implemented. Recommendations made after the King's Cross disaster 17 years ago have not been implemented. What? what? Donald Gentleman should get to the point. Get to the point. I will, Mr. I will, Mr. Deputy Speaker, and it's this. What sort of tabloid campaign would it take for the government to put in place key recommendations before further tragedies instead of expressing regret afterwards? Yeah. We are actually implementing those recommendations, but let me just explain to the Honourable Gentleman, since he gives me a chance to say again some of the measures that the Liberal Democrats have voted against. Well, he, ca he can't complain that we're not being tough enough and then object when I point out 
that when we introduce measures that, for example, allow us to give indeterminate sentences to violent and sexual offenders, he and his colleagues voted against that legislation. And so I'm very sorry if he wants to raise these issues, he'll get that reply. And beg. Join with me and the vast majority of Scottish people in condemning the wanton violence perpetrated on my constituent Ian Smith in Aberdeen yesterday just for wearing an English top and flying a small English flag in his car. While accepting people can be passionate about football, would my right honourable friend agree that this incident besmirches the reputation not only of Aberdeen but of the Tartan Army, who can travel the world without attacking supporters of opposing teams? um, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right, both in in what she says and the tone in which she says it, and I'm sure everybody condemns what was an appalling and totally unjustifiable attack. Um, And it's in fairness to uh, the football fans from England as well. The vast majority of them behave extremely well. Um, and I think the way that this present World Cup is being conducted uh, is absolutely excellent. Um, and it's a great tribute, not just to the German authorities who are conducting it and in charge of it, obviously, but to the English fans that have travelled there. And so I pay tribute to all of those that lawfully and properly uh, are football supporters. And she's absolutely right about what she says about that particular case. Michael Ancrum. Mr Speaker, (coughs) given the tremendous work of reconstruction carried out by our brave troops in Iraq over the last three years, but given also the fact that there is a fast diminishing prospect of further positive achievement in the face of the growing sectarian violence in that country, is it not time now with honour and dignity and pride to bring our troops home? No, it it, it isn't. And I'm sorry he says that because I know he supported uh, the presence of British troops there. And I say this in no disrespect to him at all. The fact is that long last we have for the first time ever in Iraq got a fully elected democratic government that brings together the Sunni, the Shia, the Kurds. They are the people who are the democratic representatives of the Iraqis today. Their view is, and all of them incidentally said this to me when I was in uh, Baghdad recently, What they want is for us to stay and see the job done. Because the reason why there is difficulty in Iraq today is is not because the British authorities have fallen down on the job, or even, frankly, the Iraqi authorities. It is because there are people there who want to terrorise and stop democracy taking root in Iraq for some of the same sorts of reasons that see these people engaged in criminal or terrorist acts the world over. And what we have to understand is that the fight there, as in Afghanistan, is part of the wider struggle against this type of global terrorism. And the worst message that we could send, and I do say this with respect to them, is that we're going to walk away when the people who are democratically elected want us to stay. We stay and get the job done. And I believe that is the British way. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When the law in the Barker case has been reversed, will my honourable friend consider introducing a fast-track scheme to make speedy payments to mesothelioma sufferers and their families? Um, well, I will certainly look very carefully at the suggestion uh, my honourable friend uh, makes because I know that he's worked very hard both on these cases and on the miners' compensation cases as well. Um, I, I won't give him a reply straight away, but I will look at it carefully and get him back in touch with him. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. A month ago, I wrote to the Home Secretary, so far with no reply, about a foreign prisoner who should have been deported in February at the end of his sentence. In fact, he was deported on the 11th of June, a delay which has cost the taxpayer 
£800. May I ask the Prime Minister, given that the Home Office has told me there are 450 others in immigration detention who finished their sentences, whether he will ensure that they are deported more quickly and at less cost to the taxpayer? I mean, I can only look into the particular case because I obviously don't know about it, but there can be reasons why people are not immediately deported that are to do with the country to which they're being returned. So I think it's quite important before we take it as if it is read that someone, once there is a, a deportation order, then immediately goes. Sometimes there can be reasons that are nothing to do with the fault of the immigration authorities or the Home Office while they're not returned immediately. The important thing is they should be in custody until the moment they can be returned. Alan Simpson... In Berlin at the moment, 80% of the new buildings going up are generating their own energy. In the Netherlands, they're generating energy from their motorways, from schools, from health centres, even car parks. In China, they're building a whole eco-city. But in the UK, with the exception of DEFRA, not one of our major spending departments is investing in energy self-generation. Given the Prime Minister's own commitment to the climate change issue, will he get his civil servants to look at generating some energy about generating their own energy? Actually, we are, um, as, as the Chancellor announced, we've actually put a, a significant sums of money into microgeneration. We're spending, I can't remember the exact sum, but it's somewhere in the region of several hundred million pounds um, on um, research into renewable energy. And I just say this to my own friend, he's quite right in what he says, incidentally, about the interesting things happening in other countries as here. And I think when the uh, energy review is published, he will see that as well as dealing, of course, with the, with the difficult issue of nuclear power, there will be a very great emphasis on energy efficiency, on renewable energy, because the frank and brutal truth is we will have to act across the whole range of measures in order to make sure that we can both guarantee energy supplies and reduce um, CO2 emissions. Philip Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Stephen Eyre was a convicted murderer who was, who was released early and went on and abducted and raped a 10-year-old boy in my constituency. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that the way to tackle overcrowding in prisons is not to release dangerous people out early onto our streets, but to build more prisons so that prisoners can serve their sentences in force? Um, of course, first of all, I'd say I entirely agree with what he says about what was obviously a, a very, very shocking crime. I agree. The reason why we are building more prison places is precisely because those who need to be in prison should be in prison. But I do point out to them that now, as a result of the Criminal Justice Act of 2003, now such people can be given indeterminate sentences, in which case they're not automatically paroled, but will only be released when they are no longer a danger to the community. And it's precisely because of cases um, like the one he mentioned that we introduced this provision. And I think I'm right in saying that there's almost a thousand people that have been subject to them. Emily Thornby. Would uh, my right honourable friends join me in congratulating members from both houses of all parties who went on the MP's bike ride today as part of Bike to Work Week? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think uncontroversially. <laughs> I think yes is the only safe answer to that. Yeah. Mackay. Why has it uh, taken the Prime Minister nine years in office to decide to review the problems and the workings of the Home Office? It's, it's not as if there hasn't been an immense amount done already for the reasons I gave early. 
I mean, if, for example, we take the Immigration and Nationality Department, against which there's a lot of criticism for perfectly understandable reasons, let's just be clear what we inherit and what now happens. There used to be a case where the average case for an asylum application... I'm explaining what we've done in nine years, so you should listen. There used to be a case... 20 months it used to take for an asylum application. The average now for the vast majority is two months. We used to remove only one in five failed asylum seekers. We now remove more than the unfounded applications come in. And not like the previous government that was about to actually sack people from the immigration department. We've increased the numbers to deal with it. So that's what we've done in nine years, and we'll do more, more over the next nine. Wearing. Uh, on, on Monday of last week, my right honourable friend met with the leaders of some of the big corporations like Tesco's and Sainsbury's to encourage them to join the boards of foundation hospitals. When is my right honourable friend going to call to 10 Downing Street some of the representatives of the people who know something about the National Health Service? I would suggest the representatives of the Royal College of Nursing, uh, the trade unions involved in the health service. And, and, when, and, when is, and when is my right honourable friend going to stop the privatisation by stealth of the National Health Service? Um, actually, it won't come as any surprise to my honourable friend to know that um, the trade unions from the, the uh, NHS have, of course, often been in Downing Street and in the course of the conversations we've had over many years. Indeed, the agenda for change that's welcomed by many of the trade unions was developed in partnership with them. He, he talked about the members of the private or independent sector coming into Downing Street. They actually came in to a meeting with the chief executives of hospital trusts in the NHS in order to discuss how, for example, on things like procurement, um, the uh, NHS sector could learn from the independent sector. And the people that were speaking up for that type of partnership and engagement were not actually the politicians. It was the people working in the NHS. And I think where you can get the right partnership between the independent, the voluntary sector, and the public sector, we should have it. But it's all according to one principle, which is NHS carefree at the point of use. Order.